Good morning. We're here in the Gospel of John, chapter 6. Could I ask you to turn there, and we'll read the passage this morning. John, chapter 6, if you're looking in the Pew Bible, you'll find it on page 1056, and we'll start at verse 15. It's a, it's a passage for frightening times, for times that are unsettling, times that, um, that put fear in our hearts. And it's an encouraging passage. It's about a gloomy night, a windy night, a pretty nasty night to be out. And at that time... Jesus gave a very encouraging sign to his disciples. Let's read it and find encouragement as well. John 6, 15, on to 25. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite side of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? The word of the Lord. Let's bow in prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for this sign. And may you speak to us through it. May you give us eyes to see and hearts to believe what you have shown to us in these things. For the glory of your name we pray. Amen. So, it was, uh, it was a nasty night. It was frightening. Let's just look again at, at, these, uh, at these images. What was going on here this evening as they climbed into the boat. Uh, you know, the first thing we have to realize as we read this, John gives us a very shortened, concise uh, presentation of these events. But Mark and Matthew both give the same events, and they add some details and some background. And one thing that you need to know is that the disciples didn't just get in the boat and forget Jesus no, Jesus made them get in the boat and cross while he went up into the mountain. Um, so this was Jesus' plan that they should go out into the lake. They were following his orders. They were following his plan. And, uh, and he was up in the mountain. He was trying to get away from the crowd 
to avoid the crowd because they had the wrong idea of what his kingdom was about. So when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. And maybe it was a nice evening. Maybe it was looking uh, ominous to them. I don't know. But certainly what happened is that it, it got dark, and Jesus had not joined them, so it was dark, and they were alone. They were without Jesus. And uh, a strong wind began to blow, and the waters began to grow rough. So the sea was rising, and it was getting more difficult out there. Mark informs us that actually the wind was blowing in their faces, that it was blowing against them, and so it was very hard sailing. So they were having to row, and it says when they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat. And uh, Mark tells us that this was in the, the fourth watch of the night. In other words, after 3 a.m. So they've been out there rowing against the wind all night. And sometime in the wee hours of the morning, exhausted, fighting the waves. The seas are rough. They're trying to keep their wits about them. They're trying to keep their eyes on the horizon. They're trying to keep the balance in the boat. And they look, and what do they see? Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. And just like any of us would be, they were terrified. They were frightened. What, on the, what in the world are they seeing? So they're, they're unsettled by this. It was a spooky night, and they were freaked out. Jesus shows them a sign. He's showing them a sign. And we have to understand a little bit about the language of signs. Signs are something different. There's a lot of teaching in the Gospel of John. And teaching, we sort of know what to do with. You know, someone says something, we try to uh, analyze it and identify what they're talking about and, and work through it. But signs have a logic and a language all their own, and we have to understand what Jesus is doing here. He's speaking through actions. So he's giving a sign of other things. And the thing about signs in the Gospel of John is that they point to something else. It's not just that he walked on the water and that was it. But the sign means something and we're supposed to get it. And Jesus is always talking about some kind of spiritual thing and people are always understanding him on some kind of physical level. So Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you have to be born again spiritually. And Nicodemus is hearing, how, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and get born again? And Jesus is telling the woman at the well, you need water of life spiritual water. And she hears, you mean I don't have to keep coming back to the well with my bucket? Ah, this sounds like great water. And people, people miss it. At the same way with this sign, Jesus is speaking and he's giving a spiritual message to his disciples. So let's try to understand what he's saying. I think there are three things that Jesus is saying to his disciples here by this sign. The first is he's saying who he is. The second, he's saying what he does. And the third, he's saying why he does it. So first, who he is. How does Jesus show who he is by this sign? He, uh, he shows who he is. 
as God. He shows uh, that he is God. Jesus, because Jesus shows he's God, his people shouldn't fear. So how does he show that he's God? First of all, he talks like God. And um, so look, look what he says. We have this whole gloomy scene, and then right in the middle of it is, is this little speech of Jesus. Verse 20, he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. They're terrified. They're seeing, you know, somebody walking on the water, whoa, out in the middle of nowhere. And he says, it is I, don't be afraid. And, um, you know, on the surface, this is just the sort of normal thing that you say when you surprise somebody. In Greek, you know, it's a, it is I, you know, I am, and, um, and uh, don't be afraid. It's, a sort of, it's just sort of like what we would say is, um, uh, don't worry, it's just me. You know, that's what he says. You come around the corner, someone didn't expect to see you, suddenly they're shocked, they're frightened. He says, don't, don't worry, it's just me. Oh, oh, okay. And so we could pass over it like that and see nothing more there than that. It's a funny thing about John is he takes ordinary language and he sometimes puts a little double meaning into it, a little bit more depth to it. And you can't resist as you keep reading through the Gospel of John and then you come back and read this again, you can't resist seeing more in it. Can, can I try to help you see a little bit more in it? Look, here he is. He comes and he says... Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's sort of a common thing people say a lot of times in the Bible. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. Do not be afraid. Why? Because God is God. Because God is with us. Because God is faithful. So don't be afraid. But what does Jesus say? It is I. Don't be afraid. I mean, maybe I'm just reading into it, but, but I, I can't help seeing that he's saying, don't be afraid because I'm here. I mean, when you're, when you're walking on the water and you say this sort of thing, it just, you know, when we're already kind of wigged out and you say, you know, don't be afraid, it is I. You know, we, we can't resist reading something more into it. But then this phrase, it is I, it is I, or I am. It's a phrase that John uses a lot. Half the occurrences of that little Greek phrase, ego, amy, I am, half the occurrences in the whole New Testament are in the Gospel of John. And over and over again, there is one person in the Gospel of John who keeps saying, I am, in this way. And it's Jesus. There's one other guy who says it one time. That's the blind man. They're trying to figure out, are you really the guy who was blind? He says, I am. Otherwise, it's always Jesus. I am the bread of life. I am the Messiah who was to come. I am the vine. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. Over and over again. And then he tops it all. In John chapter 8, verse 58, he tells the Jews, Before the ancestor of the Jews, Abraham, was born, I am. What? Yes, I am. And not only that, but that's the name of God in the Old Testament. When he sent Moses, he said, tell them, I am sent you, because that is my name, I am. 
So Jesus says, um, you know, he comes, I am. Don't be afraid. But like I say, you can read the Greek and it's just, um, eh, don't worry, it's just me. Don't worry, it's just me. So I think he talks like God. I think he, he talks a little bit like Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's, that's what I hear. He talks like God. But the real sign here is that he walks like God. So Jesus shows that he is God. He talks like God. He walks like God. Crossing water in the Bible requires God's presence, uh, the hand of God. And so in the Exodus, the people of God, they cross the sea because God is with them. And God does an amazing thing by opening the sea so that they can cross through. Uh, There's another little parallel. If you would uh, turn with me back into the Old Testament, keep your finger there in John 6. Back to 2 Kings chapter 2. You can find this on, in the Pew Bible on page 359. 2 Kings 2. And here is the prophet Elisha performing a miracle. It's really the first miracle that he performs. It's just at the time when the prophet Elisha takes up Elijah's cloak. Now, we were just doing this, this tongue twister last week, weren't we? Elisha and Elijah. Because last week we were looking at the, at the miracle Jesus did in the day with the crowd. And that miracle was to divide loaves and feed a huge crowd. Elisha did something like that. He took 20 loaves and fed 100 men. But um, Jesus takes five loaves and feeds 5,000. So he takes Elisha's miracle and he blows it out of the water by expanding the proportions beyond all reason. And uh, he does the same thing with Elisha's miracle of crossing the water. So just look here what's going on. Um, Elisha really gets a huge level of recognition when he crosses the water. Now, he's going along with Elijah. Elijah is the big guy. And Elisha, everybody knows that Elijah is going to be taken away. And Elijah's sticking with him all day long. So you get down to verse 8, 2 Kings 2, 8. And then the two of them went to the Jordan. And Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. And the water divided to the right and to the left. And the two of them crossed over on dry ground, just like Israel crossing the Red Sea or crossing the Jordan. And then when they crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. Well, Elijah says that's a hard thing, but if you see me when I'm taken, then it's yours. And of course, then Elisha does see him when he's taken. And so then Elisha knows now I've received a double portion of Elijah's spirit. So he goes, verse 13, and he picks up the cloak. He takes up the mantle of Elijah. 
He picks up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah. He went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. And when the company of the prophets saw this, they said, the spirit of Elijah is now on Elisha. And they came and they knelt down before him and they acknowledged him as the man of God, the prophet. He gave a sign and he really showed who he was. He crossed maybe 50 or 100 feet of water on dry ground. And that was amazing. He parted the water and made it stand to the side so he could walk through. Jesus walked on maybe three or four miles of water, walked on top of the water. Uh, he, he takes Elisha's miracle and he just blows it out of proportion. There's just no comparison. There's, there's no one like Jesus. There's no, there's no record. There's no, there's no history. There's no precedent. There's nothing like Jesus. He's unique. And he comes in and he says, uh, do not fear. It is I. So Jesus talks like God. Jesus walks like God. And the disciples see this, and they recognize God's presence when they see it. It's like what John said about that first sign that Jesus did. The first sign that Jesus did in the Gospel of John, John records seven signs that Jesus did. And the first one, which he calls the first, is uh, the turning of the water into wine. And in chapter 2, verse 11, John tells us the result was that his, thus he revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. And that's what happens here as well. Jesus walks on the water, he reveals his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. This is not a prophet. Jesus is not a prophet. He's not a wise man. He's not a teacher. He is God in the flesh. So when, when he comes, we have something unique and new in the world. This is the way that, it's, that he is introduced at the beginning of John's gospel. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth, as John 1.14. So everything in the Bible comes to one point in Jesus. Everything in the Bible comes together and connects in him. It's focused on him. Wherever you go in the Bible, it all comes back to him because he is the one who is God. The Bible is the story of God. It's not the story of Israel. It's not the story of people. It's not the story of the earth. It's God's story. And this is the greatest thing that God ever did. He actually became flesh and walked among us. So everything in the whole Bible is pointing here. Even Elisha with his miracles eventually finally points to Jesus. If you want to explore Christianity, start with Jesus. Start with the gospel. Start with the gospel of John. 
Uh, we have a, a class, a Sunday school class going on. Um, we're going to take a couple weeks off here for Easter. It'll start up again on April 22nd. It's called Exploring Christianity, and it's all studying the Gospel of Luke and answering a lot of basic questions about the Bible and about Jesus. It's specially designed for you if you're just asking questions about Christianity and trying to understand uh, who Jesus is, who God is. But start with Jesus, and that's the way to begin to understand Christianity. Christian, Jesus says, do not be afraid. So you ventured out. It's a dark night. You're going far. You're rowing hard. You don't know if you'll ever get anywhere. It seems like you're alone. It seems like God is far away. Don't be afraid. Hold on. Keep going. I think that this, uh, maybe I'm over-spiritualizing it. Maybe, maybe I'm just taking, you know, a simple miracle that Jesus did and I'm coming up with all kinds of fancy spiritual meanings. But I think that when Jesus did this sign for his disciples, he meant for them to remember it and think about it and apply it in other situations. And I think certainly that's why John wrote it for us. So you wake up the next day, you wake up five years later, you think back. We were out there in the middle of the lake, and Jesus came to us. He came walking right to us. He said, do not be afraid. Yeah, we should not be afraid. We should be courageous. We should keep going. We shouldn't chicken out. Yeah, I know things are tough, but let's just keep at it, huh? Church, don't hug the shore. You know, when we get together as a group, we can become more and more careful, and all the careful voices can prevail. And it's, it's important that we pay attention to details and that we manage things and that, we, that, we're, that we're careful. The disciples needed to keep rowing. They needed to keep watching the horizon. They couldn't just sit there and relax and say, oh, well, you know, Jesus will take care of us. But still, isn't it, isn't it all too easy for us just to become very, very careful and not to venture out in faith together as a family, as a church, and to just try to do easy things or try to avoid risks? So let's trust God. You know, here we are. We've, we've taken a huge venture. We've put up a building for people who aren't here. And uh, we've taken a risk. And then we're looking at the general fund week by week and month by month. How's it doing? How are we doing? We've got a mortgage. We've got to pay it. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. How are we going to... We've got to do all those things. We've got to keep rowing. We've got to keep working hard. But let's not just hug the shore. Let's still trust God that he's going to be with us. And let's still keep venturing out and trying new things. Let's start thinking about church planting. Let's just not be content with what we're doing because God is with us. God has sent us. And uh, he can do greater things than we've seen. Well, we've seen that Jesus shows who he is. He's shown that he is God. And because he is God, we should not fear. Jesus also shows in this sign what he does. He saves. He is a Savior. And because Jesus shows he's a Savior, his people shouldn't fear. So how does he show that he's a Savior 
in this sign? I think the first thing is that he comes to them. They're three or four miles out to sea, out in the waves, out in the wind, but he comes to them. Jesus comes to where they are. Uh, It was such a terrible night because it was dark, because it was windy, and because Jesus was not with them, but Jesus comes to them. He is a Savior who is is present, and by his presence, he saves us. He is with us, and that gives us encouragement to not be afraid. Uh, There's nowhere that Jesus can't get to you. So he gets right out to them, And then he gets into the boat with them. Look at verse 21. Um, He said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. And then they were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. So he's with them. Just like, you know, Isaiah talked about the Messiah who would come. And that the virgin would be with child. And she would bear a son. And his name will be... Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's who Jesus is, God with us. And, um, and uh, the last words of the Gospel of Matthew, the last verse, Matthew 28, 20, Behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. He is with us. He is a Savior who stays close by. John makes the same, the Gospel of John uh, records Jesus making the same point. John 14, verse 18. It's at the Last Supper. Jesus is preparing his disciples for the fact that he's going to be leaving. He's going to go to be with his Father. He's, uh, he's going to rise from the dead, and he's going to be uh, ascending to heaven. And so he tells them uh, that they should take comfort in his spiritual presence when he is physically absent. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. There's a spiritual presence of Jesus with his people. He comes to them, and he brings them home. So he gets in the boat, and John just says, it immediately reached the shore where they were going. Um, You know, how that happened, you know, Matthew and Mark don't describe anything of, you know, miraculous, you know, boat moving quickly through the water or anything like that. What they describe is that when Jesus got into the boat, the wind died down and the sea became calm. So a distance that was taking them all night to to travel, now they could just go. Uh, Maybe that's all it is. Maybe it's a miracle. Maybe there was a miracle that uh, suddenly the boat was able to move very quickly. Um, Either way, what John lets us see is that when Jesus gets in the boat, they get home. When Jesus gets in the boat, it's no longer an impossible journey, but they're, they're getting home. They're home. Jesus comes and finds his people and takes them home. And so that's the sign. That's the sign that he comes, he gets his people, and he takes them home. And um, 
Will you look at uh, John 14? John 14, the first, uh, the first six verses. And, uh, you know, again, maybe I'm, maybe I'm stretching this sign a little bit too thin. You be the judge of that. I think that it points to the reality of what Jesus does for his people and that it's pregnant with spiritual meaning and that we need to look for that. So here's, here's what I see. I see that Jesus comes back from heaven and he finds his people wherever they are. However far out at sea we may be, he finds us and he gets us home. Look what he says in John 14, the first six verses. Do not let your hearts be troubled. That's the same theme we're talking about. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas, I love him, he speaks up and he says just what we're all thinking. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you're connected with Jesus, he will come for you, he will be with you, he will get you, and he will take you home to be with him forever. He won't forget us. He remembers his people. He keeps track of them. Even though you're way out in the middle of the lake, he'll find you. He'll come and he'll be with you. And uh, he'll get you. So stay true to him. He'll stay true to you. Are you true to him? He sees you where you are, far out at sea, and he'll find you. Where does your journey lead? Have you committed your life to Christ? Is Christ in the boat with you? Is he coming along? Is he going to take you home? Have you come to find Christ as Lord and Savior? Have you put your faith in him, the one who is the way and the truth and the life? That's what you need to do. You need to be connected with Jesus. You need to trust him. But there were many people who believed, and there were many who did not. And so we're going to look at uh, those who did not and try to understand something else about this sign. Jesus, uh, Jesus is showing by this sign who he is. He is God. And he is showing... What he does, he saves. He comes, he gets his people, and he brings them home. And he's showing by this sign why he does it. He does it out of love because he loves his people. But first we need to look at the people that he doesn't do it for and try to understand why he doesn't do it. So why does Jesus not show this sign to the crowd. Look what he does. He's hiding up in the mountain when they're trying to make him king. They're all excited about him. 
And then he sneaks off in the middle of the night, goes right past the crowd, out to sea, and shows his miracle, his, his walking in the water, only to his disciples, only to those few, in the nighttime, in the dark, when nobody can see very well. So why is Jesus, uh, you know, not doing evangelism the way that we would do evangelism? You know, we would give him an F in our evangelism class. You've got this huge opportunity. All these people, they're so, you know, excited about you, and they, they want to hear from you. They want to know more, and you just withdraw. You know, if I was on the committee of people, uh, you know, giving advice to Jesus about how to run his ministry, I think I might at this point resign in disgust. I, what is he doing? I mean, this is his huge opportunity. If you really want people to hear you and know you and believe in you, then you've got to openly show yourself to people so that they can respond. But, you know, Jesus isn't really interested in my advice. He doesn't uh, include me on his committee of people to show him how to run his ministry. Um, Jesus sees something about these people that we don't see. And he sees that they're worldly, that they don't have a view to spiritual things, that they don't have a concern for the things of God, that their minds are on their own desires and on simple worldly things. And so they're not ready to receive him. They, they don't have an appetite for him. It's like he says in another place, don't throw your pearls before swine. Don't give what is precious to dogs. There are people who have no interest. You know, you, you show pearls to a pig. He has no, no interest in pearls. He doesn't care. You know, you give, you know, precious, you know, gems and, and jewelry to a dog. The dog doesn't care. Watch out. The dog might bite you. And that's how these people are. They don't care about spiritual things. They're interested in worldly things. And so... Um, you know, back in, in chapter 6, verse 15, where we started, you know, they wanted to make him king because he can feed everybody. He, he makes bread. This is great. They love him. Um, so what their interest is, is their stomachs. It's their food. And the same thing comes uh, later in the chapter. It's the, it's the constant theme of the chapter. We'll look down in verse 26. They come, they find Jesus, and, um, and they say, Rabbi, when did you get here? And he says, I tell you the truth. You're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. They're just interested in food. They're interested in something for their stomachs. Well, Jesus, that's pretty harsh. I mean, they just came and asked where you were. Look down in verse 30. So they asked him, What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Here's a suggestion, verse 31. Our forefathers ate manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Hint, hint, hint. Uh, down in verse 34, they just put it very plainly to him. They're blunt with him. Verse 34, sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. They want bread. They want something that they can have and hold and eat. And uh, they're completely missing the point. Jesus is talking about spiritual things, but they're on to physical things, worldly things. So 
you know, Jesus has just, he has not given them what they desired. All he gave them was a puzzle. All he gave them was a riddle. All he gave them was a parable. Where's Jesus? There was one boat that left. The boat was here. Who was in the boat? I saw. It was only the disciples. Jesus went up in the mountain. He's not up in the mountain. Where is he? He's not here. Oh, well, let's go look for him in Capernaum. So there he is. Hey, when did you get here? But they really aren't interested in trying to solve the puzzle. Now that they have him, they can get bread. So they're not trying to find out, you know, is there some glory in Jesus? Is there some wonderful power? Is there some wonderful presence? Is God present here, saving and making himself known? No, they're not interested in that. They want bread. Don't seek Jesus to get something else. Seek Jesus for himself. Jesus was hidden from the crowd, but he was revealed to believers. The disciples saw the sign, and they were encouraged. And you know who else saw the sign? You and I. As far away as we are, we get to see what the crowd didn't get to see because we get John's gospel. These signs were performed by Jesus not only for the people who saw them, but also for us who would be told about them. Would you look at the end of the Gospel of John just to get some perspective on signs once again? The last two verses of John's Gospel, one important thing is that we're connected. There's a connection for us with Jesus through these signs because the person who records them for us is an eyewitness. Look at the last two verses of John. The writer introduces himself. He is this mysterious character which we're going to meet as we continue through John's gospel called the disciple whom Jesus loved. And then at verse 24, chapter 21, verse 24, this is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. So he says, I saw it. I was there. I'm writing this down. And I'm not, I'm not telling any lies. I'm telling you the truth. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Would, signs are related to the purpose of the whole book. Would you look back in uh, chapter 20 and verse 30 and 31? Here again, John talks about miraculous signs and the purpose of the book. So he says, uh, chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Maybe you feel like, you know, Jesus lived a long, long time ago and there's no connection between him living so long ago and me living today. I wish I could have, you know, met Jesus or seen Jesus. Look at verse 29. 
Verse 29, you're more blessed than those people who got to see these miraculous signs themselves. Uh, Thomas, you know, he was doubting until he got to see and touch. And Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What a blessing to be able to read about these signs from this eyewitness. Jesus did the signs so that we would hear about them. To read about them and to see right through John's eyes to see the glory of Jesus and to have that connection with Jesus today right through the writings of an eyewitness, John, whom Jesus sent as a messenger to tell us about him. Don't seek Jesus to get something else. Jesus is enough. Seek his glory. Pursue him. Love him. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 17. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Seek Jesus for his glory for his salvation, for new life that he gives us. Don't fear the wide gap of ages. Jesus lived long ago, and we live in a different time. If Jesus could cross that sea and find his disciples where they were, then he can cross the span of time. As God in the flesh, he can come to you where you are, and he can be with you. He can take you through the journey, and he can bring you home. So don't be afraid. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings, God in the flesh. And we thank you for the things he did in the sight of the disciples. We didn't see them with our eyes, but, Lord, we received the word passed on to us. And by your Spirit, we're empowered to believe and see and know that this is the Son of God. And by your Spirit, we're assured that this is your Word and that Christ is present with us. And we have a living faith in the living Son of God. And our hearts are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For we're receiving the goal of our salvation the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Be with us and strengthen us. Strengthen our faith in your word. Help us to hold on and persevere. In Jesus' name, amen.